Hey everybody, welcome to the PC Perspective Podcast. This is episode 343 being recorded on April 1st, 2015. I'm Ryan Shrout. I'm Jeremy Holstrom. I'm Josh Walworth and Cody the dog. And I'm Alan Malventano. That, that dog talks that, already? The dog is... That is amazing. And it has, you named it after Alan? Cody? <laughs> Never mind. You, you're clearly not paying attention to the video. Yep. Uh, so welcome to the show, everybody. It is April Fool's Day. Uh, but uh, rather than harp on uh, all the stupid stuff that's happened, we're only going to focus on the real, honest, okay. truthful news that happened over the last week. And it turned out there's a lot of crap. Uh, first things first, we record the show live on the Internet. Wednesdays, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific at pcper.com slash live. We always have, if you go to pcper.com slash subscribe, you can sign up for a little mailing list that uh, basically gets you signed up for this list uh, that we email people like an hour, a couple hours before we do a live event. And it could be this podcast or it could be, it could be, you'll definitely want to sign up for this mailing list because uh, like tomorrow we're going to have a very special live event. Uh, hosted by me and Alan, and we're going to be joined by a couple of uh, our friends from the Intel SSD group or the... I wonder what might N- be launching tomorrow. NVM group, uh, oh. non-volatile memory. I wonder what might be launching tomorrow. Hmm. The NVM group quickly or, like, expressly? No, Maybe. just quickly. Okay. Yeah. NVM in- NVMG is what it's called, I believe, in their email signature non-volatile memory group. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're going to join us tomorrow. We're going to talk about a little bit about the history of SSDs, how Intel has developed SSDs, and how they've been in it um, since for, for a very long time. Uh, we're going to announce – there will be a new product announcement tomorrow. Not a surprise that there's a, there's a video embedded in the post here that will give it away what it is. Um, it's a revolution in solid-state drives, though. I'll tell you that. You should get ready for a revolution, as this video indicates. Um, and now, of course, as we do with these live streams, we're going to give away some prizes as well. We have a pair of Intel 530 series SSDs to hand out, a pair of 730 series Intel SSDs to hand out, and a pair of new unannounced SSDs to hand out. Uh, and the sneak peek preview is they're really damn fast, and we think you, you'll you'll really you'll want to get one. these products. So uh, make sure you stay tuned uh, or sign up for that subscription page or make sure you tune in if you're watching this live set your calendar now uh thursday april 2nd 12 p.m pacific 3 p.m eastern at pcper.com slash live 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 actually pcper.com slash live it's a common misconception yeah yeah we get that a lot uh so let's talk about stuff actually some interesting things happened like uh we got some hands-on time with the 3d mark API overhead feature test, which is actually was released to the public on March 26th, the same day that this article went up. It is an update to the existing 3DMark benchmark suite that adds a new feature test that supports DirectX 12, DirectX 11, uh, single-threaded, DirectX uh, 11 multi-threaded, and Mantle, if you have an AMD card that supports it. And it, it is uh, meant to be a comparative test to see how your particular platform combination of CPU and GPU uh, will behave uh, or how, how much performance potential improvement there is going from DX11 to Mantle or DX12. Mm-hmm. Um, the test, they were very adamant on this about it not being a GPU performance comparative thing. Yep. 
Don't compare an R9 290X to a GTX 980. Don't compare a 980 to a 960. Mm-hmm. Like that's not what this is supposed to be about. It is about uh, driver implementation mm-hmm. and and more on the software side than anything else. Although it really isn't. I mean, it's not even trying to test the speed of a given GPU. No, I mean really. this. This uh, they, they went like, with the simplest possible this polygon. Is a, thing yeah, they this could is a do. screenshot of what it renders. It actually, draws on the screen. It's only doing it at 720p. Yeah. Renders at 720p, and it is like a very simple geometry that is basically uh, attempting to increase draw call counts mm-hmm. as high as they can go. And mm-hmm. what it does is it basically starts increasing draw call counts, and, and this this stuff kind of like draws out further and further into the distance, and then it eventually doubles, and you get it in from the from the top here again. And the idea is to increase your draw call count until you get below 30 frames per second. Yep. And then it will uh, it figures out how average was, your frame rate there yeah. for like three or four seconds, and then gives you your total of uh, draw calls per second that your system at, is, at is capable rate, of handling at, at around 30 frames per yeah. second. Right. So uh, you know, here's another screenshot of what it looks like. So here is like the very beginning of the DX12. You can see it hasn't drawn very much. This is early in it. Mm-hmm. You're running at 1,059 frames per second at only 864 draw calls for, for, per frame. We actually see that get up to like 400-something I think, draw calls per frame. Video cards make weird sounds when you're going 1,000 frames per second. When you're going 1,000 frames per second, coil whine is a definite factor, (laughs) regardless of what the build quality is or the vendor. Um, So we we went through some tests on this. We used an X99 platform, 5960X, 8-core, hyper-threaded processor, Mm -hmm. um, 16 gigs of DDR4 memory, of course. And we tested the 980, uh, 290X, a 960, and an R9-285, uh, and we had NVIDIA's drivers uh, 349.9 and AMD's uh, 15.200.1012.2. So that's their first uh, like DirectX 12 capable These drivers. are the DirectX 12 drivers that I think pushed out with that version of DirectX or with Windows 10. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, 10041. Ten zero four one one zero zero four one right was the build, and I think these show up if like if you do a Windows update, it should download those drivers. Yeah, um, but we got them from Microsoft directly for part of this testing. So uh, Ken actually ran through a lot of these tests, but we did uh, eight cores with hyperthreading on, eight cores with hyperthreading off, and mm-hmm. then six cores, four cores, two cores, one core, just kind of see how things compare. Let me zoom on this and see how much larger we made. It might be too big. Yeah, it might be too Whoa. big for this screen here. Um, so what we have here on this side is DX12, DX11, and DX11 single threaded, and this is what these are the 980 results. So what what's kind of important here is like D- DirectX11 multi thread is kind of like the best case scenario for DirectX11 today, and it tops out at about 2.75 million draw calls per second. Okay. Under DirectX12, we top out about f- just over f- 15 and a half million draw calls per second. That's a significantly larger number. It's a it's, it's a huge number increase, yeah. right? Uh, and you can also see here, like, the DirectX 11 single-threaded scales up pretty nicely. You kind of get 1.26 uh, down to up to 2.75. So you get a, you know, a slightly more than double increase in DirectX 11, which is, you know, important for today's yeah. games. Um, but DirectX 12 clearly shows you that the potential is there for much more impactful draw call counts mm-hmm. and what people can do with this in games, you know, like the the Oxide engine that they're working on that was part of that Star Swarm demo, but there's actual games being built on it. Um, 
So, so that, what's the what's the yellow line in that? Is that four? the yellow line is six cores? That's six cores. All yeah. Right. So it's six cores. It kind of stops going up. The right, six right, core to right. eight core result didn't really change anything, and then adding hyperthreading didn't really add anything. So it looks like that's actually the same case for the um, DirectX 11 multi-threaded even. Correct. So as if like those two technologies they kind of use like six cores as many as they're actually or six threads as many as they're actually using. It appears that way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you look at our 290x results, we see the same thing. Like from four to six, you kind of level off in DirectX 12, but with yeah. Mantle, you actually get a little bit more increase going from six to eight. Huh. Uh, with Mantle, we saw as high as 20.8 million. Draw calls per second, which is yeah. higher than we got on the 980. But again, future market and Microsoft are very adamant that this is not a GPU to GPU comparison. So right, we kind of right. keep it all inside the same thing. Uh, it is worth noting here that the DirectX 11 single threaded and DirectX 11 multi threaded results for the G90X are basically identical. And it really is like the reason they say don't do that comparison is it's really you're just you're testing drivers, really, like implementation. Yeah. Right? And, and it's not really, it's, it's not going to indicate actual game performance when it comes out. Sure. Like, like when DirectX 12 games come out, they're not going to be five or six times faster than DirectX 11 games. No, no, no. They have the just... potential to be faster in this one synthetic area, and that will allow yeah. people to do more interesting things with games. But yeah, because there's more crap on the screen that you can look at. Right, uh, but, it's not, but, yeah. it's not, but it's not going to, it's not going to increase the amount that like of vertexes that your GPU can actually draw. Right, right, right. right. So if that was your bottleneck before then it's still going to be your bottleneck. If your bottleneck was the CPU and the API overhead, then that will you know, improve. Yeah. yeah, it's helping alleviate a bottleneck. A bottleneck. Right. And, it's, and it's giving the game designers some more flexibility in, like, if they wanted to because have, they, say, yeah. double the calls. If they knew this was always a bottleneck, yeah. now it's not a bottleneck. Now what interesting things can they do? Um, what, interesting- what new bottlenecks can we explore? <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah. yeah. You're just going to run Storage. into the next bottleneck, right? <laughs> the, uh, another interesting thing we saw was we took uh, the 980 and compared it to the 960. We did a 960 base and a 960 overclock. Uh, so the 980 is the green bar here. Uh, the blue bar is the 960 stock, and this yellow one is actually an overclocked 960, uh, which is interesting because you'll notice that the 960 overclocked almost has the same draw call count under DirectX 12 as the 980. Okay. And this actually kind of goes to the point of, hey – don't use this benchmark to compare GPU to GPU. Yeah, because the 960 is not even overclocked. Even it's nowhere overclocked, near. You're never going to assume that they're going to render at the same frame rates, yeah. right? They're, they're no, no one would assume that Crisis 3 or whatever DirectX 12 game is going to come out is going to run as good on a 960 overclocked yeah. as a 980. It is it's, essentially half the card. Like yeah, a 960 is I think so. essentially yeah. like half of a 980. So. so clearly this is more driver CPU system optimization than anything yeah. else. And on the AMD results, actually, it does kind of make sense that, like, I mean, Mantle was a little bit higher than DirectX 12. Mantle's been, like, they've been working on that for Mm -hmm. a long time, right? And then they're basically like, okay, here's our first crack at GX12, right? Well, doesn't... uh... Go ahead. Gosh, I'm just drawing a blank. No. Um, They're asynchronous shaders that they talked about, AMD talked about, and oddly enough, I, I didn't ever hear... You know, get any, any stuff. Stop whining, buddy. <laughs> um, they have uh, command processors. Mm-hmm. Like uh, AMD has a ton and have since, you know, GCN came out. NVIDIA did not until Maxwell. And so I'd be really curious to see if the increase in command processors are, are uh, you know, uh, Gosh, I don't, I don't even know, remember the exact terminology. It's about the ACEs, it, asynchronous compute engines? Exactly. Uh, that NVIDIA has their own versions as well. Mm-hmm. And it would be really neat if you could 
check out the Fermi and Kepler guys against Maxwell hmm. and see what kind of uh, difference you can see because those will have an effect on probably this particular application. Yeah, they probably will. I, I, it's probably worth looking into, and I'm sure somebody probably has. You can just look, go back and look at a what do you look at a 680, I guess, yeah. or something Is like that. Is Fermi even supported under their DX12 driver? You know what? Actually, I think this driver might only support Maxwell. Ooh, actually, I don't, well, know, that's the, I don't know the answer to that. I would mention Kepler support because Maybe it's Kepler. being pushed out. Yeah, actually, I mean, DirectX Scott is running that driver on his six seventy. Oh, okay. Thing, so, yep. okay, we'll have to see. It, it, it'd be interesting to go look back and look at it, but uh, yeah, we didn't do that in this particular piece. It is, it is, it would be interesting though. We we compared two ninety X and two eighty five, and again, similar results here. We even ran it on the A ten seventy eight fifty K, the uh, highest performance APU in the world. I guess still, um, and you can see here, DirectX 11 multi-threaded refused to run, but DirectX single-threaded, you know, half a million draw calls per second, whereas with DirectX 12 you're getting four and a half million draw calls per second. So, pre- I mean, pretty interesting results there. Nothing that's going to fundamentally change gaming right away. It's more about hey, what can the game developers do with this yeah. now that they know about it? Yeah, it's just one part of the pipeline that was a bottleneck yeah. that was taking resources away from other things that a game could have done with the CPU. Right. I mean, look at look at like Battlefield Four DirectX Eleven versus Battlefield Four Mantle. Mm-hmm. Little bit of performance improvement, maybe not a huge amount. Right. Like it, clearly, implementing Mantle in that engine didn't really change much. Yeah, and that, that was from that was from one of the guys that like helped create Mantle. Yeah, that game had a lot of issues on its own. It did. So, yeah, yeah. Maybe, not maybe the they didn't example. have exactly the development effort and time. That I'm just saying, put like into it the guy who wrote like that, that engine wrote the standard for Mantle. Yeah. Yeah. So if it didn't see a huge improvement, like I don't, what I'm, I'm not saying that it won't work. DirectX 12 won't make things better, or Vulkan won't make things better. It's just saying it's not automatic. Just because you port a game to DirectX 12 doesn't mean shit's just going to run better. Yeah. In theory, it might. Yeah. But like I said, if your bottleneck was shader compute before, it's still will. It's still going to be shader compute before. You yeah. have to fundamentally change how you design things mm-hmm. uh, if you want to kind of take advantage of this. And I think the demo I got of, uh, at GDC of I'm blanking on the name of the game that's using the Oxide engine, the one that was built part of the Star Swarm demo. It's an RTS and it looked awesome. Like the amount of stuff they had going on on screen was amazing. And it still looked okay. It I remember a picture good. of that. I don't remember the name. But, um, you know, it, it, it was like they had to start with this idea in mind of how can we you know, change the way we want to design a game based on, you know, yeah. these new kind of... <laughs> what if Assassin's Creed Unity magically ended up on DX12? <laughs> it, it may help if that was... If a that actually probably turned out to, draw call limited game. If it turned out to be the draw yeah. call yeah. limited issue. It probably was when you walked into a room with the, or a city with a bunch of people and stuff and it just falls on its face. But it yeah. looks pretty too, so I think it's pretty shader intense as well. That's I true. Don't know. Uh, okay, we're going to talk uh, about... I'm so tired of talking about this. Uh... <laughs> Dude, you're so biased. G-Sync and FreeSync. <laughs> so, trust so me, I trust me, I got that a lot this week. Uh, I don't. Yeah. I actually don't want to spend a whole lot of time talking about this on the podcast because we we have a video. We have a whole video that's probably I don't know twenty minutes long or something like that. Ken, yeah, where yeah. we too long dis- didn't watch discuss uh, <laughs> this in great detail. But the 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 quick version of it is. We used a Alan brought in uh, old an old borrowed oscilloscope analog oscilloscope, and so it's what fifteen years, yeah, 
something like that. Older. that it's not it's an old. older cell screen. It turns out it doesn't matter. It's actually a little bit better. It still works. Um, yeah. we, we, we have higher tech stuff here, but it doesn't easily just scale and put stuff on the screen. Yeah, we have hardware and software that just doesn't give you a nice, pretty picture like this did. Um, yeah. And so what we did was, was we wanted to look at FreeSync and G-Sync and these, these kind of not exactly the same panels, but very, very close in proximity. Mm-hmm. Uh, two panels, Similar the ROG panels. Swift... 40 to 144, yep. uh, and the BenQ XL270. The Swift is rated 30 to 144. Like the BenQ is rated 40 to 144. Gotcha. So what we did was yeah. we we hooked these up to the oscilloscope, and what we found is that we could measure the refresh rate mm-hmm. of the monitor that way. Mm-hmm. The and actual rate. The actual refresh rate. Refreshing. Not the frame rate of the game. Correct. Not anything like that. We were measuring the refresh rate, yeah. and so what we did was you can see here in this video, we've got the scope, we've got it, uh, we've got our little sensor up here attached, uh, measuring that, and we, we're running um, the original. We're running a version of the NVIDIA uh, Pendulum demo mm-hmm. that was modified so that we could do these things that I specifically wanted to do. I yeah. when, we, when we Tom could, was we here could tell last, it, we could tell it what frame rate. Yeah, when Tom was here last, I said I really want this. I really want an application that will let me specify a frame rate and stay at that frame rate or very, very close to it yep. or, or sweep between a custom frame rate uh, in order to test some things out. So they built that for us and we used it in, you know, they handed it out to, to other editors as well as they tend to do. Um, and so we basically ran through a bunch of tests and we looked at, okay, what, how do these monitors perform and compare inside these variable refresh rate windows? How do these monitors compare above it? And how do they compare below it? The focus really on the video was really what happens below. Um, and this is kind of uh, – this is a graph that we made up um, that kind of tries to explain what's happening in a visual form, although the video just explains things very uh, concisely, I think, and, and gets the point And across. organically yeah. because you're talking to somebody. Right. The, the gist of it is that there is a physical limit to a panel's minimum refresh rate. You have to refresh it at some minimum number or you risk damaging pixels something flicker. bad things happen flicker right so uh and something we learned from going through all this in like in previous months uh looking at all this stuff is that g-sync has a method in place where the minimum like what you might see as the 30 hertz minimum spec on a panel is not necessarily the actual minimum because it has a method which is on that chart where it right. can double the frame rates or multiply if you go even lower uh, it, just in order to stay safely above that 30, right? So you, you never go all the way down to 30 uh, hertz refresh rate of the panel right. it, because of this multiplication trick that it can do. And it doesn't add any different stuttering. It doesn't add any, any of that. It's just inserting an additional redraw when it would have been doing nothing else, right? So in effect, G-Sync goes all the way down to like one or even zero frames per second if you wanted to game at zero. I don't know why you would. Probably wouldn't. You wouldn't get anywhere. Anyway. Literally. You wouldn't literally, get you wouldn't get anywhere. Uh, so that's one side of the story. The other side is FreeSync. And what it does, and part of the reason I wanted to look at it directly with oscopes and other measuring gear is what does it do once you get below the minimum? In other words, does it stay at the minimum or does it go maybe back up to a maximum refresh rate where you might see less drastic effects on tearing and judder that you get when you're outside of the window on FreeSync, which is what the case is, right? And so, as we saw with the scope right there in the video, once you get below 40 on the uh, BenQ panel, the panel stays at 40. Once your rendering goes below 40, yeah, your once frame rate goes below 40. Yeah, so the frame rate, say, is 20, 25, 30, 35 even. 
the panel itself stays at the bottom end of the window, mm-hmm. right? So it stays at 40, which is significant because the tearing that you get and the judder that you get outside of the window on the low end, in this case, visually just looks way worse. It gets then, amplified because you're at a low refresh yeah, rate. because you're at a lower it's, refresh it's, rate. It's like uh, – so we have a 30 hertz panel that we do some of our 4K like just raw benchmarking on. When yeah. We're not actually trying to game on it. And tearing and judder on that is way worse because of the low refresh rate. Yeah, because it's at 30. Right? It doesn't yeah. affect the benchmarks, but it affects your experience Watching dramatically. It. Yeah, it's painful to watch yeah. that panel. So yeah. so, so this, this, is, this kind of demonstrates kind of the, the – the fundamental difference on the low side between the two technologies, mm-hmm. right? And we, we, if you watch the video, and I encourage you to go uh, to do so at our channel, youtube.com slash PCPer, or look for this uh, article that is titled Dissecting G-Sync and FreeSync, How the Technologies Differ. Um, and the... I don't, I don't know what else to say. Like that, it, That's all there really is at, to at it the on high the low end. end. Like, we, we talked about it in the video. At the high end, we think AMD is doing the best... Yeah, is doing better than G Sync because it allows you to en- enable or disable V Sync. Ken we, looks really confused. We so, talked about this a little bit last week because Sebastian mentioned like three two pull down and how TVs handle it. We talked about my experiences yeah. with FreeSync. No, we talked about frame doubling and fl- frame tripling last week. Yes, on the we podcast. did, but we didn't do this oscope stuff. We had the other graphic. Well, we before. had recorded this before the podcast, so we probably talked about the oh, process. Correct. Oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah, if true, anyone true. feels like they're hearing something they've already heard, that might be why. Yeah. True. Okay. Yeah, but on the um, high end, uh, G Sync, their initial mantra when they developed that was they don't want any tearing ever. Right. So G Sync at the high end forces V Sync on, which is probably not that noticeable as far as judder goes because that's the effect you get with V Sync on is judder. But at 144 hertz on ROG Swift, it's kind of it's kind of hard to pick out. Even you really have to be looking for it, mm-hmm. and it's, it's quick the frame times. the frame rate is so fast. Um, but on like something like a 60 hertz 4K. G-Sync panel, you know, you're, for, you're stuck with V-Sync yeah. on if your game is going over Agreed. 60, right? And, and AMD's um, solutions today is They give you a choice. Better than, yeah, than what they give you G-Sync a choice. Has, correct. I, I, yeah, it's like, a, I mean, I own a G-Sync panel, and I specifically went for one that goes up to 144 because even though I wanted a 4K panel, mm-hmm. just because I could not stand the thought of V-Sync on at 60. That's just unheard of to me. I wanted to be able to turn it off. Right. So that's supposedly coming, Right. Uh, yeah, I so hope we hear we hear they are going to make it an option. Hopefully, as far as Nvidia goes, but right now FreeSync is superior there because you have a choice. You can just turn it on or off, right? Um, I, yeah, I, I think we're just going to leave yeah. it at that. Like, I, I just want. Well, there's one more quick point. There's okay. some there's some misinformation. Going is there on. ever a quick point? There's there's <laughs> other there's other reviews out there. Uh, one of them was talking about like, hey, uh, we didn't see any ghosting, but they were actually gaming at like a hundred. Well, this thing doesn't reference ghosting, really. Well, I know, but they were saying like people gaming outside of the VRR window in the first place, like at 109 hertz on that LG panel that tops out at what number? 75 or 85. 75. Okay. Yeah, if you're gaming at 109. It's you're not in the VRR window, so be careful what you're reading as far as like, you know, people saying, "Oh, look, this is fine here. I don't see any judder." Sure, t- we need to know. do more work into the into the ghosting side of things individually. Yeah, um, we we honestly still have to. We we need to do like actual relative reviews of the LG and the BenQ panel, and we have that new uh, G Sync panel here as well. So, yep. you know, I'm sure things will slow down next week, so we'll have plenty of time to get to that. Somehow uh, we've become a monitor review place. Yeah, I know. Josh, uh, Jeremy, any thoughts on this or anything before we move on? I haven't um, seen it, so. 
Okay. Can't really uh, say. Yeah, it is something you. It's very hard to describe. It's very hard to video. We did our best in that video, and people are still not really grasping it. Well, I think a lot of people are, and actually, I think we've gotten more. I've gotten more positive feedback either in emails or Twitter from kind of that discussion. Yeah. Than things we have done in a while, basically, kind of maybe since the beginnings of frame rating, I guess, right? Because it's a very complex topic, and we tried to break it down, and we we did that whole thing with the we're going to show you the animation of the O scope and the frame rate in the same window, and and you know, yeah. demonstrate things that way. I don't know. Go ahead. You Josh. know, <clears throat> display technology is not perfect, and I don't think we're going to get there for a little bit. Because I think what eventually we may be going to, and this is something that I theorized, and I remember talking to Tap about it, and he wasn't entirely sure about you know my, my thought process. No but essentially, is. how I feel is that you're going to have you know the, the black backlight strobing and whatnot, but until we get to a point where you can program uh, a kind of delta C or a, a, a change in color, for each individual pixel that can go and change dynamically instead of just like our our current LCDs where uh, the LCDs are either closed or partially open or fully open or whatnot uh, for, for the three, you know, sub-pixels. Until we can get to the point where you can go through time with constant change with a constant backlight or something going on there, we're going to be dealing with... Frame Some sort issues. of compromise. Mm. What's yeah. that? Some sort of compromise, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, it's it, we're going to have these issues where, yes, it's an advancement, but it's not a perfect representation yet because we see light as constantly streaming. Panels see light as hurts, 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 mm-hmm. everything hurts, frame, frame, frame. Uh, you know, everything is going to be static, change static change static right until we can you know kind of apply calculus and have a lot of bandwidth in between your video card and whatever display option is that can change colors through time more organically through time he's getting through all, time he's instead getting of super just, he's getting all timey wimey <laughs> i mean we're we're talking calculus versus you know infinite slices as compared to x amount of frames per second so does that make sense to you? Area under a curve, kind of. But for now, <laughs> exactly. We're still, or, for know, now, we're I'm, still I'm stuck with at least you know a complex shape and yeah, yeah. Did he just watch his brand called takes Zeno a lot of power. Integrals. Take a lot of power. No. Josh is talking about like changing the pixels as the frame is being rendered, like not just finish the frame and draw it out. He's no, talking. not only no, no. Okay, take. Are, we, are we really going into so this? So you now? take a frame, <laughs> are we really doing right? This? You take the second frame. <laughs> Ryan doesn't you, want to do this. And you figure out the delta C in between those two frames. Yeah. So you don't actually have frames, you just have a constant transition change and uh, transient yeah. of uh, Do you understand what I'm talking about? I think that's closer about? than you might believe. I hope it is. I think that's closer than you might believe. Yeah, the quantum dots might be able to pull it off. I don't think that matters. We'll ever see oh, quantum well. dots in anything besides backlights and displays. More dots. Keep your eyes here. What the f... All right, uh, let's move on to the next story. 50 DKP minus. (laughs) Samsung 850 Evo. uh, You thought it was over, but it's not. We're here to talk to you about the MSATA and M.2 variants of said drives. Yeah, so we we have reviewed the 2.5-inch drives. We reviewed, I think, like three of the four available capacities, and... They sent us rounds of uh, of 
you know, just different form factors, which they just launched uh, yesterday, I think, right? Um, so M.2 and MSATA. The M.2 is not PCIe. The M.2 is M.2 SATA. Mm, they use okay. SATA lanes, right? Um, which basically means that... What does oh, MSATA use? <laughs> SATA. Oh. M. It is the same connector as MPCIe, though. So that is true. Oh, so confused. But it uses SATA. <laughs> I bet Samsung's really, really anxious to have to make another form factor of these things that sit on shelves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you have a device that you know you couldn't fit a two and a half inch SSD into, and you kind of oh, liked, you kind of liked the 3D NAND and the speed of the 850 Evo and how it performed. These perform virtually identically mm-hmm. for a given capacity. It's just. The flash is just arranged differently. It's packaged differently. There's still the same number of dies. They're still connected to the mm. same controller. Okay. It's just kind of rearranged into a different physical form factor. Is that right? big of a box really necessary for that small of a, an SSD? It is kind of a thin box. It was. It's very generic OEM with a nice pretty picture on it, though. Like it's uh, it's reasonable packaging for you know mm. to Isn't protect that, the drive. I it just love just the fact that it's a terabyte. Uh, yeah, a terabyte <laughs> on an MSATA, and you know it's there's there's four. Flash packages on that, and Wait it a are these pictures you took? Yeah. So is this right here? Is this a sticker? Yes, that is a sticker. Yeah, on it's the a sticker chip. edition. Yeah, it's on the. It's flash. not. It's not an empty pad. It's actually there's a chip underneath it. You it, mean on the on the back? It's on top of the flash chip. Yeah, on the back. Is it okay? I, I think it, it may not be like over it on the entire area, but it's at least stuck to okay. the top of okay. one. I was just curious. So you got the two uh, M.2s here, the two MSATAs. Anything at all stick out in terms of performance? Not really. So like, Okay, so you were pointing to... to the one that has like the Samsung SSD. There is nothing Evo. behind that oh. one. Hmm. I lied. On the left one, there's two chips. Ah. Oh, okay. The left side okay. is the one terabyte. Okay, gotcha. Okay, so that one has to have stuff in the back. That's, that's what I was um, okay, concerned about. All right, yeah. Makes sense. It's, the other one's just a 120. So gotcha. it's it really does not loser. And all of the M.2 form factors, even though it looks like there's some pads there where you could be mounting some chips, yep. they don't sell a capacity where they have to put chips on the back. Their highest capacity is half a terabyte, and there's nothing on the back of that one. They don't have the uh, one terabyte version of the M.2? They do not. How does that make any sense? It's pretty stupid. Uh, I'm not sure why they launched them that way. Maybe um, it's just trying to keep inventory constraints like, maybe maybe they're more worried about heat production from doubling the die count on uh, you know. But it's on, the bigger physical device you have. Yeah, no, more I got it. Participation. I'm with you. I'm with you. All right. But, um, so what else? Uh, so performance basically the same. Okay. Right. Uh, so you know what you're getting there. Uh, pricing, pretty decent. Uh, it goes all the way down to around forty five cents per gig for is, one terabyte. It, are write speeds a little bit lower? Uh, so the write speeds you're looking at is for the hundred and twenty gig. Yes, but I also oh we didn't have 120. Oh, we did have. No, I did. Uh, okay, I so yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so the yeah. two and a half inch version, 120 gig, right here. Yep. Very similar. Very right? similar. Okay, it's basically I the same you. performance, right? Those look similar too. Yep, they're all all the way down, similar, right? <laughs> this is so exciting. Uh, yeah, it's pr- it's basically <laughs> that's why it was it's kind of <laughs> tough to get through this review, right? It's because it's oh dark. You're trying not things. to say it's like neon. You're trying not to say oh. over and over again it's the same thing as the other one, but it's the same thing. But it is. Uh, you can even Look see that, that little. Drop. You can even see the what drop there. Okay, so so that drop is just typical of an Evo, in Evo. a certain capacity because I think it's the 500 gig. Yeah. Uh, yep. When it gets to that point in that particular test run, the six gig of SLC cache becomes full, uh, and then it drops you to know CLC what? speed my, for the rest of the test. My 840 Evo is running so fast at 75 megabytes per <laughs> second. 
Oh, it reads faster than that. Come on. Maybe. It Maybe does. not currently. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should apply some hot fixes. You need to refresh your. Oh, drive. you haven't. You ha- that, well, then yes, I would believe that it is reading at seventy-five microsecond if you have not patched your eight forty Evo. But don't worry, when I complain about that drive here, everybody looks at me like I'm a butt. So that is a good point. <laughs> Just uh, there, are some people might have some apprehension about an eight fifty Evo because eight forty Evo did have some issues. Samsung is still trying to figure out how yeah, to fix properly. They're not gonna. Uh, this is VNAND. It's a completely different technology. I. We haven't heard of a single one slowing down yet, and they've been up for a while now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we're safe. How are we out on prices on this? 850 Evo MSAT, a one terabyte, $450. Yep, 45 cents a gig. It's pretty good. That is. Slap that in your Ultrabook. And, and Boom. So, so what I like... I would actually uh, gingerly install it. Here, slap it. What I liked best gingerly. about... <laughs> gingerly. Mm. What I liked best about this launch is that it was done right. You had MSRPs from... The company, same exact prices, not any higher, on Amazon and Newegg, on launch day, everything matched. There it is. You can buy it right it's now. It's just going to change now. Oh, well, hopefully it'll come down. Right, sure. It most likely will. That's okay. That's fine with me. Yeah. Um, but, you know, nice, smooth launch. I like that kind of thing. Uh, and, you know, I mean, I'm really bullish on the 850 Evos. They're good. They're really good drives. They're, they're good cost per gig. Hopefully they put that quote on the box. Uh, they're good. The, they're uh, really good. They're, they're really it's good. Like a 1945 soda commercial. Um, <laughs> Golly gee willikers, they're good. <laughs> but the performance, I even I even threw an 850 Pro in with those results. I'm pretty sure I did. And a lot of the, the Evo capacities are right up there. Hmm. So it's, you know, for, for most of the so time. So if you've got a, a motherboard with an M, M.2 slot. Uh-huh. You could put one of these in there. As if long as it has a, SATA. It has yeah. to have SATA. SATA support. Yeah. Uh, if you've got an Ultrabook with SATA, M.2, yep. or what the hell uses MSATA? This uh, old Ultrabooks. Other Ultrabooks. And the old, older motherboards. And, yep. and Nooks. Yeah. There's some Nooks that had Nooks. it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. There's some new SSDs for you. Yeah. They do exist. All right, and now it's time for the most important story of the week, the Miller Electric 10,500-watt power supply unit uh, that Lee wrote up for us today. It is... <laughs> you yeah. can arc weld with it. Yeah, as a matter of I fact... I think we can arc weld with this you one. You are very specifically <laughs> capable of arc welding with this. So this is... Uh, it's capable of delivering up to 375 amps uh, on, on the 12-volt 12 12 rail. rail. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that'll cinch you short and curly. So that's like two <laughs> R nine two ninety five X twos. Yeah, yeah, that might yeah. be. That, you know, I might be able to get a third in there. Oh. It, this yeah, actually, that final thought that it's a little overboard for enthusiasts no longer appropriate. <laughs> this uh, uh, this says it can support multiple PCs at the same time. It, it could. It only requires a uh, six gauge copper cables for minimum voltage drop. You could oh. get that Lee and Lee case with the two with the two space for two motherboards. Yeah. Uh, and, draw all and then you the can same. get, and then you can get five more of those cases. Yeah. It's a little, it's a yeah. little bit on the heavy side. It weighs seventy nine point five pounds. But um, we're not the CRT uh, monitor. responsible for any resistance testing units, which might perhaps catch on fire. It weighs seventy nine pounds. Seventy nine pounds. You want to know what's really funny? We just got the we just got the new IOSafe in. Sure. Just showed up today. It's the IOSafe fifteen fifteen. It's a five bay IOSafe with the braid inside it. 
It weighs 71 pounds. We it's can like arc- almost weighs as much as We should as arc this. weld it. <laughs> you want to arc weld that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's see uh, how Lee gets into here. So he mocked up how you could power up to six PCs. Obviously, you can't run 29, uh, 295X2s in all of them, hmm. uh, but you can definitely do that. But you can see how the copper wiring needs to change. Hmm. Based on this much power, yeah. right? Yeah, you yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's typical Molex. You can't just pipe that through a Molex, huh? That's no. disappointing. Uh, but that's the power distribution module that plugs into each side of it. It's fairly simple. Uh, and, but it does come with a, a decent amount of cables oh, inside. Oh, that. all right. Yeah. yeah. Here's the inside of a 10,500-watt power supply. That seems uh, overkill. What it no, looks no, like. no, that's the inside of a PC. It's got circuit boards. Oh. No, no this is the inside of the power supply. Oh, wow. That's it, I Seba- mean, It's, it's oh, Sebastian's geez. PC. Look, look at the size of those capacitors. It's a. It's that's a, awesome. I mean, it's a beefy power supply. You've got to have a lot of logic in there to control um, yeah. the distribution and everything. Yeah, uh, yeah. And look, it's even got, like, like uh, it's not gold. It's so, okay, here's what you do. You, you turn it off. And unplug it, and then touch your tongue to some of those capacitors. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. You could do that. You well, could do like that. that. You, you could do that, that once. You've got six <laughs> pairs time. of terminals here. You've got all that. And let's, let's go through the testing process real quick. Uh, he does have the graphs of weight here. <laughs> it's an important um, metric. The most, the, right. the heaviest one we've had at this point was an Intermax Galaxy. It was 3,500 uh, 3, grams. Uh-huh. This one is 36,000 grams oh, all right. of mm-hmm. weight. That's a bit heavy. Yeah. And here's, here he is kind of testing it. It's hooked up to all the low balancer stuff uh it did catch fire um for a small a short period of time oh all right but uh uh he, he got it put out it was fine uh we we replaced that part it was not a, not a big deal um strengths monstrous 375 amp 12 volt output uh can support multiple pcs automatic fan speed control high efficiency it's only a three-year warranty mm. i would maybe put that on the weaknesses the weaknesses he lists here are big heavy and expensive and uh, overkill, even for hardcore PC enthusiasts. Look at that old. Look logo. at that old logo. Yeah, yeah. Back I, in the I'm disappointed. Days. I, I really like to see multi-rail PSUs, and I mean, this just won't fit the bill. Yeah, yeah. We need. But it's single rail amongst up to six PCs. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I'm just going to use it to power I, my entire rack. I think it's enough. I think I think yep. it'll be enough. I think it'll be enough. All in right. fact, the rack mountable. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Just make sure you have a very strong rack. Yes. That, you know what I'm saying. Uh, so now we're going to talk with Josh about process node technology. So get oh, on your it's so exciting. Get on your nerd hats, everybody. Uh, yeah. Tell me why 28 nanometer GPUs are extended through 2015. Because 20 nanometer planar just blows for large designs. All right, cool. Let's move on to the there next. There you go. Thing. All right, All right. Get the thing here. Next. What, what's what's interesting about this besides okay. these cool you know what? robots? I, I, we have been spoiled. Hey, and, shut up. And throughout probably the past <laughs> 17, 18 years, we've had pretty consistent improvements in process technology. We had, you know, I, I, I talked about the, the Voodoo Graphics was a 0.5 micron <laughs> or 500 nanometer process. We went to 350 nanometer, 250 nanometer, 180 nanometer, 130, 90. 65, mm-hmm. and I'm skipping some of the half notes. Yeah. Um, you know, what, 55 and 45, 32, all these things. I mean, they just consistently happened because a lot of smart people were working on this problem, and every 18 to 24 months, we had some really nice improvements. And suddenly, we, we, we got 28 nanometer, things were looking good. We got Tahiti, we, we got... Kepler, 
That was the first. Or was it Fermi? Fermi, Fermi was there. and then Kepler. Yeah, Fermi was there first, 28 nanometer. No. That was 40. Fermi was 40. Yes. But anyway. So, yeah, we, we still had nice jumps every approximately two years. And then suddenly it stopped. Intel did a lot of testing, spent a lot of money, and said, you know what, planar transistors are just not going to work here. We have to spend a lot of money on Trigate. Lose what other two-dimensional call, transistors. Yeah, and, and, and what other people call FinFETs. Uh, Intel is you know, called Trigate. And they came out with their 22 nanometer Trigate process note. And the first product on that, what was the, it was Ivy Bridge? Yeah, the Sandy so. Bridge was 32 nanometer. Ivy Bridge was the first 22 nanometer. Why are you trying to make me remember that, things? What? Why are you trying to make me remember things? Yeah, you're going to make a study next time. <sighs> I'm really sorry because <laughs> uh, my father has uh, early onset dementia and I'm, I'm starting to notice things about me. So I'm, <laughs> I'm showing off when I can. Gotcha. Understood. <laughs> soon Understood. I'm, you're going to have a camera on me and I'm just going to be drooling. That might be a show in itself. <laughs> I didn't know we were far off from that. Yeah, no. probably not. Mm. It's three, four years. So enjoy the witty repartee while you can oh, because I will. it will be coming to an end. I will. <laughs> okay. I'll uh, so anyway, uh, you know, it, it was an interesting time because a lot of people who were serious overclockers took Sandy Bridge, took it up to pretty high speeds, and then they're thinking, okay, Ivy Bridge is here. It's 22 nanometer. It's, it's this trigate. It's this new and interesting thing that, that can do wonders. Why in the hell can't it overclock as much? Mm-hmm. Why is it producing all of this extra heat at these speeds and voltages, which 32 nanometer handled perfectly fine? And we're getting to the point where process technology is, is, it is becoming so complex and we are hitting walls in terms of physics that people did not expect to see as early as we have. A lot of folks thought, hey, 20 nanometer planar is going to be perfectly fine for a vast majority of ASICs out there. Come to find out, they start producing them, and there's a lot of problems. Yes, you get the transistor density, but you do not get the corresponding improvement in power efficiency and transistor switching speed at certain voltages. Um, so Intel did get around this by, by implementing FinFETs at the correct time with their 22 nanometer product. Everybody else, way behind. Uh, TSMC, they were expecting a lot of uh, 20 nanometer parts two years ago. Didn't happen. Uh, the first mass-produced 20 nanometer part was the Apple A8, which was about 90 millimeter square and was designed from the outset to be a low-power part. Even though it runs pretty nice and is a fast part, it still was from the outset a low-power part. Now, a GPU, that's not a low-power part. I mean, it is a lot of transistors firing at the same time, creating a lot of heat, requiring a lot of power, and... It just was it is not conducive for these large designs. So this article explains quite a bit about that. 
uh, not just the process side, but why we are seeing what we are seeing in the GPU market. Namely, we're staying at 28 nanometers from here till the end of 2015 when we might get some process nodes that will handle these larger die size and, and, and power requirements. Mm. So uh, NVIDIA, what, the GM200, is that the correct mm-hmm. term mm-hmm. for this? Titan, uh, almost 600 millimeters square. Yeah. Uh, still, they, they did a great job in the design. It's 250 watts TDP, 8 billion transistors. I mean, it's, it's a massive part, and I, I hesitate to even think what the yields are on this product because 600 millimeter square is about the limit of, of what you can do with uh, you know, reticle on on the process node that they're working on. Anything above that, things kind of get out of focus. Your yields are going to plummet, and certainly guys like IBM and other guys who who provide really large dies to enterprise class. I mean, when they're charging ten thousand dollars per chip, they don't mind wasting a couple of hundred processors because the margins are so damn good. Yeah, on these things. Um, but with GPUs, I mean, it very is it very much is a consumer level product. So, my point here is that throughout all of 2015, we're going to be stuck at 28 nanometers for GPUs, and this is where design and engineering really comes into play because we have hit a wall with the third party or pure play foundries that they cannot provide a process technology that is suitable for these large, high-powered devices such as GPUs. So they've had to really go through, redesign uh, high-density libraries for AMD. Uh, NVIDIA did a lot of power-saving stuff with Maxwell. It's really impressive. I mean, from both sides, what they've done. And uh, so my point is, the 390X that we're expecting, the Fiji, it probably will not be a 20 nanometer part. I could be absolutely wrong here. AMD could prove me wrong that they're 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 going for the gusto and 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 taking a big rest by going 20 nanometer. But it seems like 28 nanometer is the better bet. So it's going to be a 520 to 550 millimeter square product. But they not as big as Titan X. It's not as big, but the t- but the, the ace up their sleeve is they will be introducing really the first mass-produced consumer-grade uh, HBM Hubbum. or HDM high-density memory uh, product that uses a 2.5D. So it's got a silicon interposer, it's got the SOC, and then it's got the memory yep. chips beside it. Uh, we don't know a whole lot about the process of fabricating these chips. I mean, it's it's three separate type dies. You've got the, the GPU, you've got the silicon interposer, and then you've got the memory around it. We don't know how they're going to be put together. We don't know defect rates of, of the entire uh, chip or substrate or whatever you want to call it that will be going onto the PCB. So there's a lot of questions, and it's going to be really interesting to see what happens here in June, which we're assuming is going to be the introduction of the final and the largest R9 300 series 
of GPUs from AMD. And if I were a betting man, and obviously I wrote this, I, I do believe it's going to be 28 nanometer. It's going to be around 600 to 750 bucks for what you get. But it will be the fastest GPU on the market. You think it'll once be the Titan actually, X? I think it'll be the Titan X. I, it, it's just going to have... Look back at the Athlon 64. The first Athlon 64. IPC was not as great, but they were the first to introduce the integrated memory controller while Intel was behind on the Pentium 4. They were. And that was a huge, huge leap. And, of course, Intel came back with the core series, and they... Kind of won. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And, I mean, they eventually integrated the the memory controller, and things were much, much, much faster. But we know about... Like, we know when NVIDIA is implementing... HBM. They're going to probably... It's going to be HBM2 with... uh, Correct. Pascal. Pascal in 2016. Mm -hmm. But AMD is going to have a pretty significant leg up. They will, especially on the high end, it it appears. The the issue I have with what this strategy is is that it's much like with the 290-290X, it's going to be high-end play only, reuse existing parts for the mainstream things, the actual stuff that sells in high volume. Right, mm-hmm. and and if they do that here, if the rumors turn out to be true, where Fiji is kind of it, it is that six hundred dollar part, but that's only going to be a six hundred dollar part, and then we see derivatives of Hawaii selling at the lower end parts, then they don't see any advantages there. Um, so I wonder how how advantageous getting that head start will actually be in terms of gaining market share and gaining mind share back. It's that's that is a good question, and we also must ask what are they going to do with the Hawaii? I I guess that they're uh I just it, wanted to end to hit It's a new respin. <laughs> uh, it's not a major right. upgrade, but it's Antigua. No, I think that's the 285 is Antigua. That was Grenada. Tong- Tong- I can't remember. Yeah, all the, the new versions. Coding. I don't know. There's, yeah. Yeah, but uh, it's going to be supposedly more efficient. Uh, do, you, do, you think lower heat. do you think they'll get rid of Tahiti? Can we get rid of Tahiti? It's going to be gone. Oh, yeah. It's only as been four as, years. What's that? It's only been four years. Yeah, I know. It served its purpose. It did a great job while it (laughs) could, uh, but it is costing AMD money and market share today. Like, it's just older stuff. Yeah, because the R9-285 is a not fully implemented version of that chip. It's got more stream processors and apparently Mm -hmm. more memory controllers than what we see now. And so they're just going to probably put that into new product and uh, fully implement them. Yeah. What was that, Ken? Tonga XT by their exactly. name. Exactly. But they're going to call it Grenada? Grenada? I, I would Grenada. think that would be a. Maybe you wouldn't name a chip after that, but maybe not. I don't know. Hey, they're all islands. Who cares? Who cares who invaded who? <laughs> islands just, and rivers. Just name it Japan. I don't know. Like, yeah. that's an island, too. Cuba. Yeah, another couple of generations. Chernobyl. That's so. <laughs> not an island. Yeah. No. But anyway. Uh, so yeah, I mean that's that's essentially the article. You need to read it over because there's a lot of information about there, not just about uh, 20 nanometer, but but the issues with 20 nanometer. Uh, some talking about you know what FDSOI would have done and uh, where trigates were initially aimed at and where they failed in spending the R and D money to mm. put those structures in a. Uh, in a process technology that would have actually benefited the industry. So uh, go read it up because uh, I'm biased 
And Biost. I think it's interesting. It's B-I-O-S apostrophe D. Okay. Biost. It is a good read. I suggest everybody go uh, check that out. Please do so. Uh, moving on to a couple of other things. Speaking of 3D NAND and VNAND and 3D NAND and NAND. Uh, speaking Intel, of process tech. Speaking of process technology. Yeah, there you there, go. There's your segue. And VD NAND and NAND and 3D NAND. And NAND Thank you, Ken. And integrated memory. Uh, Intel and Micron announced a basically announced 3D NAND of their own. And Toshiba in the same day. But not in this announcement. No. Toshiba's not a part of this partnership. This is an Intel Micron correct. thing. Uh, the, up until this day, it had only been Samsung, correct? It had only been Samsung. Samsung had a 128 uh, gigabit mm-hmm. per die 3D VNAND. That's how Samsung decided to go. Now, 128 gigabits per die is a kind of a similar number to what you might have heard before because the planar NAND had also been at that capacity per die, right? Mm-hmm. So Samsung chose to stick with that same number like when they transitioned to VNAND. Intel and Micron, however, have decided to do something different. So there's a couple of different things here. First, one thing that's in common, 32 layers. 32 layers. That okay. appears to be an important limit. It's kind of a technical limit of how far it you can built etch. like a skyscraper. Yeah. It, so it looks... <laughs> It looks like they are using the same kind of process technology that is used by Samsung in order to etch the holes downward through all the layers. Right. And then they do this funky thing where they kind of grow a crystal up the center of the hole they just etched to make the conduction and whatever they're going to do. Yeah. Uh, so it's a very interesting process, but there's limits to how deep you can etch holes at a microscopic level. Smaller, 32 layers deep smaller through a material. Bits, right? Yeah, really small drill bits, yeah. Um, Diamond. Tungsten. Diamond. Yeah. Lasers. Lasers. So, uh, so they're doing 32 layers. That's one thing that's in common. However, it is not the same type of flash cell layout, like how they're structured mm-hmm. as Samsung. So uh, most of the, the 2D NAND, the old style NAND that you might have heard about, um, was called floating gate. Okay, so it's like you put a charge on a gate, or you put a charge in the cell, right. and that charge ends up controlling the conduction of a transistor as if it was a floating gate. It's like a gate of a transistor, which turns the current on and off. Sure. Okay. So that's what a floating gate style is. Uh, Samsung did this thing called charge trap, so it's like a completely different technology when they, when they did their VNAND, right? Uh, Intel decided to stick with the floating gate and make it work 3D. Okay, I imagine that's probably a trickier problem to solve, you would think, because Samsung kind of went a different route. What's the result? Intel's got some R&D money. Uh, $2.99 billion a year, apparently. They can round it up. Um, No. (laughs) So so we don't know the result on, like, performance yet, because we haven't tested SSDs with these in them, obviously. We don't know if it's faster or slower or like that. Um, But you can get to 10 terabytes. uh, Yeah, so... The other thing that they decided to do, maybe because of using continuing to use the floating gate and some other just structural differences, because they're still on the same number of layers. However, Intel's flash will have twice the capacity per die as Samsung's VNAND. On MLC. On MLC. Well, and actually, TLC. it's the same for both. Oh, because uh, Samsung was using when you, 192? Yeah, Samsung's TLC, TLC okay. dies are like 192. Their okay. MLC dies are like 128. So it's double on both These cases. are 256 for MLC, 384 for, for triple-level cell. Cool. So whatever it is they're doing, they're probably just, they, they just want higher capacity. That's what Intel and Micron, has always, that's always kind of been their mantra about like when they do increased steps in their process for flash memory. Sure. They want 
they're not necessarily going for super, super performance per die. They're going for capacity per die, and they want to put this stuff out in bulk as, you know... I agree. To, to get as much of it out there as possible, sure. capacity-wise, right? Um, so that's that announcement, and that's really all we have so far. And if you t- took a 2.5-inch SSD, you could fit 10 terabytes worth of this flash in there. That's that pretty cool. eight channels, assuming? Just, that would be a regu- like a regular 2.5-inch you know, package SSD, the one you're used to right yeah. now, right? Probably a channel controller. Uh, might take you a while to read and write 10 terabytes at SATA speeds. That benchmark process um, might take some time. Only there was that, a new yeah. interface. I was a little fast. If there might, if only there was a new interface coming that might make that more... Uh, With a lot of yeah. channels. Mm. That's true. Man. That's true. I, IDE? Uh, yeah, we're, yeah, we're going back to IDE. Um, ATA 66 Pata. for life. So, <laughs> so, so that's, that's Intel's and Micron's path. And then Toshiba's path, they're doing something kind of different, which I'm not going to get into super detail on, but they're going 48 layers. <gasps> But even though they're going 48 layers, they're cutting down on the X and Y even more uh, because they're still only 128 gigabit mm, per die, okay. right? So that makes the Intel Micron thing biggest capacity per die out of any of the techs out there, and it's 3D. Marketing and, writes itself. Yeah. I mean, you, you should see the similar kinds... I thought kinds, 3D was dead. You, you should see the similar <laughs> kinds of um, endurance improvements that you... That, Samsung claims for yeah. VNAN and stuff. That's what, they, um, this, that's what this graph shows here. Yeah, right? at, at the bottom there, it's showing like how much charge, like how many electrons do you put in a cell at a given process node. Mm-hmm. And so then that blue line, question, the blue line is the is the the planar NAND stuff, and you can see like there's just less room to store electrons to store a charge, right? Uh, whereas the green line there can you is make showing electrons smaller. No, hmm. you can't. <laughs> Only in a single. That was going to be my sciencey answer. I, I think I, I bet we can figure that out. Actually, it's not the electrons that you need Half to make smaller. Electrons. It's the atoms holding the electrons <laughs> that you need to make smaller. See, that's the thing. Um, it's I, think we, I think we've tried to build a better electron. We, what happens if we take the atoms and we cut them? They just cut we, them. We break <laughs> them. Just cut them. What happens if we break the atoms? That's called fission. Is that good? I just created infinite power in your SSD. That's that's how you power submarines. That's already done, but it doesn't store data for squat. Okay. Not reliable. Yeah, not reliable. Yeah. There's a one here. Oh wait, it's a zero. It's two halves. Uh, oh wait, it's a two. <laughs> it's a two. Yes, that's, that was the problem. Binary kept turning into trinary or tertiary or whatever. Anyway, uh, so if you look at the green line on that on that same picture, I am. It's in parallel with fifty nanometer. That doesn't mean that Intel is using a fifty nanometer process. They were very kind of danced around that in the press call, Ooh, uh, but they said it's with the process they're using and the fact that they're going vertical instead of just being stuck in the horizontal plane. Are they going to have a really nice song like like CA did with "Get Perpendicular"? Get perpendicular? I don't. I don't know. Perpendicular. But perpendicular. But what's really good is like if your cell volume, no. the volume per cell, is equivalent to 50 nanometer. Now your endurance figures are going to go back to like 10,000 array cycles, right? Like we're dealing with 3,000 and like 1,500 for like TLC array cycles on SSDs now. You go back to 10,000. Like, that's really, you're just not even worried about, like, the 840 Evo problem with cells drifting over time. When you're on, you know, when you have that much storage capacity, electron-wise, you're not worried about that anymore. Because you just don't get that much leakage compared to how much you can hold in the bucket of electrons. So, good stuff moving forward, basically. Good thing for SSDs. It'll make them cheaper, it'll make them faster. All that stuff. 
Right. Ten terabyte SSDs and two and a half. And what was the the, the quote uh, here? Was three and a half in uh, an M.2. Three and a half terabytes on an M.2. Yet Samsung won't solder the additional two ch- packages yeah. to make a one terabyte. And, and Samsung M.2. thinks that <laughs> Samsung says five hundred gig, and I won't put any on the back. No. Forget you. No I soup for you. To. Uh, uh, Jeremy, you what, aren't worth the risk. <laughs> 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 Jeremy, what do we know about uh, the rumors of a new NVIDIA Shield device finding their way to shelves? Yeah. Well, They're apparently the, the exciting new way to generate leaks is to go through bills of lading. I love to this. see what's being imported to your country. Bangalore awesome. Air Cargo. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. But... So this is where the information came from. We've got an NVIDIA part, the Tegra X1, called Loki, uh, the follow-up of Thor. So obviously they've got a favorite side on their uh, hands. Right. But we don't really know much apart from the fact that this is a thing. It is shipping. In fact, it shipped a little while ago. Uh, So we're definitely going to get a new shield that has a new Tegra X1 in it. We do know that they're now going to include uh, 802.11abgnac, which is probably about the only thing that there's going to have that we didn't see before, as well as support for Android 5. But there is definitely going to be a new shield very soon, and it's going to be a bit of a jump over the previous model, because uh, the X1 is looking pretty good. Bangalore Air Cargo. Hey, it's probably not stuck on the dock, because it was true. It by does air. say air. Does say air cargo. Wait, isn't that the uh, the air cargo from Far Cry Four? <laughs> I don't know. Probably mm-hmm. I, seems I, reasonable. I don't. I, I I guess I always assumed they were going to make another portable shield device. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I couldn't. I can't decide if I think it's a good idea. They've gone from portable to tablet to console. <sighs> they're kind of circling. And they back haven't around. really. They haven't really all taken off. There are any a lot of. Them? of not, not, none of them have been like super successful. I, and I think. I think a lot of people liked this portable device. They not have for the PC game streaming side of it. Yeah. yeah. But just for like. Android gaming and yeah. maybe doing some other stuff. If you if you make it so that this can be a controller for a Shield console, mm-hmm. right? Maybe you get double benefit out of it there. They got a lot of Shield portables sitting in a warehouse somewhere. I bet they do have a lot of Shield portables sitting someplace. But well, you're using one to balance a table, aren't you? Uh, that's, that's, that's holding this foot of this table. Yeah, <laughs> we use it to keep foam boards standing up. Oh, while we're taking photos, but um, yeah, but you did play with one of these, or at least a similar one of these, uh, at the beginning of the month, didn't you? The the Shield console, so the same yep. SOC, and it was impressive performance wise. Like the games that I saw running on it were were really impressive, but like it had they had Crisis Three and Doom Three running natively on Android on it. But I don't mm-hmm. want to play those on five and a half inch screens or yeah. seven that's, inch screens, really. I think that's the other problem. Maybe it'll have a bigger screen. Maybe it'll have. Cause but it, what are you going to do? You can't have a ten inch screen on a portable device. Like you could have a seven. Like it. Like so. Guess, it's not going to fit in your pocket. So why can't you make the screen a little bigger than five inches? Right. I, I, I guess. Well, because they want it to be the same size as the console that's attached to it. Well, no, no. The console is like a TV set top box, right? Well, no. I don't mean necessarily that. I mean, I mean the shield, like. The old foldy game console. Model. Yeah. So if you made uh, yeah. it ten inches, it all of a sudden becomes a little unwieldy. Even seven to inches, I play. think that makes it. I think you weird. could do seven. How big is like the DS XL? The new DS XL. Like how big is that screen? I don't know, but that's like that's 
territory of being able to fit in your pocket, whereas the shield was way too it's thick. It's a totally different type of game, too. Like, they're designed for small screens. Most of the games that, you know, they kind of brag about and show on these platforms are not designed for small screens. Well, I, think, I think that's... Big hands, big pockets. I think that's what its problem is. Like, just generally. Yeah. Like, they keep trying to cram these desktop titles onto this device with now, a very small fair, screen. Ken played through all of Portal yeah. on this. It was great it was experience. Good. Yeah. I played through Portal on and a Shield tablet connected to my TV. Now, see, that's yeah. but that's big that, screen. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I played through Portal 1 on the entire handheld in, like, a sitting, and it was fine. Yeah. The menu text was a little small, but... That could be true. right, but like <laughs> you know, like when we first got it, we were playing with Skyrim and stuff like that. It's just like, yeah, the menus and stuff, and the text is all. There's yeah. probably some. I don't know. I feel like there's a solution there that they could maybe a, a Nintendo emulator. Well, it but, they already had those. Yeah, just not officially, right? They yeah. couldn't really market that as it turned out. <laughs> like, is there some scaling they could do in the game stream stuff that would make it more usable? Probably. Maybe. Uh, Ten twenty-four by seven sixty-eight. Sweet, yeah. Just license Pokemon. Uh, Just hey, it'll take Nvidia, off. Solve a, all Nvidia. your problems. And Nintendo's all about they're starting to license games for mobile. So maybe, maybe there you go. Uh, last couple of things. One is we did a short little video perspective mini review of the LG thirty four UM ninety five. And when are you gonna buy that for me and, and send it to me? Well, I had to send the one I had here back. So the answer is gonna no. be no. This is a 34-inch monitor, 21 by 9 it's a curved? aspect ratio. It is not. Oh. It's 3440 oh, well, by 1440 resolution. So um, bigger than 2560 by 1440 by about 20%. Yeah. Yeah, it's like QH. I don't know what that is, actually. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so it's, it's actually – it was a super nice monitor. And it became – very useful for uh, I can see it being very useful for productivity, uh, video, editing. Or, video editing, or lack thereof, content creation. Mm. Right? Mm. No. I don't know of any porn that's in twenty-one <laughs> by nine aspect no, ratio. No, the porn industry it probably exists, but <laughs> that's true. But, but what if you like wide hips? Thirty-four you can with the aspect ratio. <laughs> uh, and it's interesting for gaming, right? Because any games that support Infinity or mm-hmm. Nvidia Surround will kind of have built-in support for kind of wide angle. Maybe not necessarily good to support, but some kind of support for it, right? So you can play games like Metro: Last Light, Crisis, and Battlefield. They all have support for this, these types of resolutions, and yeah. most games do now. And you don't have any issues with bezels in it. That's true. It's all one single surface. You don't have to worry about configuring Affinity or Surround or any of the kind of hiccups that come in. Probably good with for that. drive uh, driving simulators, racing yeah. simulators like that. And I think you could probably put, you could probably Affinity these. You can in like three of them in, in yeah. Surround. Holy crap, that would go all the way around. You. Yeah. yeah, they're pretty close. Yeah. Um, and but it's, you're going to need Lee's power supply to power use. <laughs> yeah, that's that. true. Yeah. It's a uh, IPS screen, very good viewing angles. You kind of have to have that if it's a ultra wide screen monitor, right? Because you're you're always looking to the side for the side uh, to to actually see it all. Yeah. Um, and and it's not as expensive as I thought it was going to be when it first launched last year. It was probably like twelve hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. Now you can find it for like eight twenty nine. Uh, it is a sixty hertz panel. There's no variable refresh involved. That's kind of you know as we. Talk about G-Sync and FreeSync, that's kind of one of the, the negatives to it is that it is a 60 hertz fixed refresh, you know, standard panel in that way. Right. Um, it does have support for, it just showed up here in the video, it does have support for uh, two HDMI inputs. The HDMI inputs are HDMI 2.0, but they only support 50 hertz refresh. I don't think they're 2.0. That's why. 
Huh. Oh, if they're 2.0, they would be able to be right here. So it's just HDMI 1.4a or 1.4, but they are 50 hertz because of the spec limitation. Right. 3440 by Honestly, I didn't really notice that much when using it over HDMI. It felt pretty good. Right. Like just for desktop use. Right. You get DisplayPort. Obviously, that's probably what most people would choose to use. So you get the full 60 hertz out of it. It's got Thunderbolt uh, input. So, right, you can attach this to your Mac or whatever. And then it has a Thunderbolt pass through as well. That's actually. So it's nice. Yeah. USB 3 uh, hub, which works either through a USB 3 connection directly to it or through Thunderbolt, if you just connect Thunderbolt that way. Uh, the stand is kind of disappointing. There's no height adjustment. There's very little angle yeah. adjustment. It's but like it's clear. See-through. It's like clear acrylic. <laughs> yeah, it is see-through. You're right. It looks nice. It, just, I mean, it, it does look tall. nice. Yeah. It's just not functional, as functional as it needs to be. It looks um, very apple yeah, it, it, it kind of does. And with Thunderbolt and everything else, it kind of yeah. it's got know. a it's got a matte finish, which I I appreciate in terms of it's not a high gloss finish, yeah. um, which I think is actually a positive for laptops and monitors in particular. Yeah, uh, it does kind of it can dull colors some compared to a, like a bright. You need a better backlight basically thing. to overcome the matte. Yeah, and yeah. this did fine, right? Like it. It was great in our mm-hmm. just looking at it, right, in color reproduction and everything. So uh, I really like this monitor. I was sad to have to send it back. Uh, LG is supposed to be sending us the curved variant of it, the curved 3440 by 1440. Cool. So see how that compares to it as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I could see users being more interested in this type of monitor and this resolution than 4K. Sure. I, I mean, the way LG spec'd it and are selling it, it's a professional productivity monitor not a gaming monitor really yeah sure if you're gonna spend 800 dollars on a gaming monitor you should probably get like a drr monitor be it free sync or g-sync probably or, yeah yeah and, and i think most 4k monitors i would say should be considered productivity development that's, monitors as opposed to gaming monitors because of the 60 hertz refresh rate well not really the tn ones well that's true that's true yeah i, I and there are TN variants of this but i wouldn't recommend no, getting a TN are. variant of this because but I mean, this is, no they're not i think there are i think i don't know i think I, we have one no Oh, no, no, I don't think that's TN. Oh, okay. LG, no. I don't think LG makes TN panels. Are they the only one that makes twenty-one by nine monitors? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I yeah, yeah they, they are. They're the only ones that make the panels. All right. Well, there you go. I, I I don't. I just. I think this would be a fine gaming monitor. If you're okay with the sixty hertz thing there, right? So, check out that video if you're interested. Um, I think it's nice. What do I say here? Uh, the 34-inch display with this resolution is about 20% more pixels than a pair of 1920x1080 monitors. Right? Uh, but if you have a pair of 25x14s, you're going to give up some pixels. Yep. Right? Uh, so keep that in mind as you... But if you have a pair of either of those, you have a nice big black bezel right down the center. That's true. Right down the middle. That's true. That's the 34UM95. Uh, 829 at bhphoto or amazon.com. People call that the landing strip. <laughs> All right, Jeremy, our last news story of the day. Uh, February 2015 Raptor Games updates. What do you got for us? Uh, well, for every hour you spent playing Battlefield 4, 10 hours were spent playing League <laughs> of Legends. Wow. Uh, the, it's games I've never played before that are a serious chunk of why PCs exist. Uh, You have to respect that League of Legends, World of Warcraft, and Dota represent a huge 
like chunk of the market, more than a third of the gaming. Do you think? Do you think League of Legends is almost like one of those where not, you're not necessarily doing a lot of stuff? Like it's social. Like no. in other words, it's the equivalent of a no. chat room. It's a very hardcore so. game. No, it's, oh. it's a very. It's like StarCraft in terms of. Oh, so it's just you're, you're, and you're in it. You're doing in it. things and managing. The League and Dota right. are way too hardcore for us. Now, WoW, I would say, is that WoW could be a social. Yeah, gaming. They, they don't filter yeah. out time Experience. waiting to get onto the server. Mm. Huh. And apparently, Heroes of the Storm is a thing. Uh, Blizzard just launched their new MOBA, and oh, there it is. bam, oh, it go? we'll see how well it does. It, uh, it's at 13. It uh, took 1% of the hours played uh, from people using Raptor. <laughs> we'll see if it lasts for a little while, or if, like many other yeah, games, it, it yeah, just I, sort of collapses. I think it went into like wide-open beta that month. Mm, That's probably why it appeared. Yeah, because this is February. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, yeah. So I don't think it's out out, but I think it was in like a pretty wide, easy to get into open beta in February. Yeah, gotcha. If you wanted to, biggest jump: Dragon Age Inquisition falling ten spots. Yep. Oh, well, and Elder Scrolls falling right off. Oh no! It'll be back next month. They need to release some more nude mods, and then it'll get back in there. I'm sure. Yep. <laughs> Clean faces. <laughs> uh, all right, let's get into our uh, hardware software picks of the week. As I tend to open these up, we don't even know if that one works yet. What do you mean? Your pick. Yeah, well, I haven't got it yet. I'm sure it's fine. Hope so. Yeah, let me bring up my. Watch my who's it. That's a good price. Yeah, it's pretty cheap. Yeah, it's it, was, not. it was cheaper so, what it is. So um, we were building a secondary set, which I think we showed some pictures of on our Facebook page and whatever. Um, oh, is Ken going to – I don't think the camera's on. Ken. I can turn it on. Oh, okay. We were trying to build a second set, and we had some LED lights that we attached to the back of some IKEA shelves because that's what you do in today's world. Um, but the problem was the LED lights would flicker when on camera because they're the LED driver, that, the cheap LED driver from these Chinese lights were running at, I don't know, probably 30 hertz or something like that. Yeah. So our camera running at 30 or 60, you know, it just would catch the flicker of the kind of... Make it worse. Offsetting, you know, refresh rates. Um, and so that sucked. We actually had the same problem with these lights behind us originally, and we had to swap out uh, with the, the type of light, light we used. Yeah. Right? We, we traded in a light that we bought at, uh, Ooh. Uh, where the hell was that? Guitar Center for ones I ordered off Amazon straight off China boats. Straight off the boat. Right. You should turn the lights on. And, uh, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah 4870X2 Actually, the top? flicker won't show up. The flicker won't show up? No. Uh, is here, it's, right. it, like, wait, I'll wait, do wait, it. You guys top, talk. I'll top turn oh, We're going to talk amongst ourselves. It's at like an eighth of a second right now because there are no lights turned on Oh, that's there. true. Ken, switch it to the camera so we can watch Ryan fumble with the remote. Yes, please. Yes, there we go. Okay, I really got to change that. Oh, look at that. Ooh. Well, I, that was weird. Hey, no flicker. Are they on different controllers? Yeah, they are, so I can only do one or the other. Cover up the... This is going to make for great audio. There we go. Oh, oh, oh. Knocking oh, stuff over. Oh. I thought you put oh, them on the same... I thought those were on one, Ken. No. You told me not to overload it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Good job. Yeah, you can see the flickering. Yeah, so there, there's the LED lights that we're trying to uh, build. But it, long story short, they, they wouldn't work on that. So we ordered this from a company called Cersei LED Lighting and DMX Control. And apparently this controller... Um, Operates at like five point eight kilohertz or something. Yeah, it's like some ridiculous ref- drive rate. Five point two. Yeah. Five point two kilohertz. 
so hopefully this will solve... And like 216 watts at 6 amps per channel. Well, actually, you have to supply your own power. Yeah. Right? So the way this works is it gives you... Uh, you know, you supply voltage in, and then it supplies voltage out with color control. Yep. So this is just a DMX controller. You're responsible for for driving power. We'll figure that out as we go. I'm sure, it'll be just Stay fine. tuned. It's just some high power <laughs> IGBTs that can switch on and off really yeah. fast. So yeah, it can so handle. They can handle a lot. It of looks power. pretty cool with no front lighting. Now you never know. Like uh, the What's thing there? in the middle over here. What is that? What is that? Man thing. That guy right here. What is that? That's an Intel bobblehead <laughs> holding a um, chainsaw sledgehammer. Awesome. Think about it. All right. Let's move on to our other pick. That's how they cut those dies. Of the week. Yes. <laughs> With a sledgehammer. Chainsaw uh, sledgehammers. All right. Who's up next? Jeremy? Uh, all right. Just pretend it's Half-Life 3 and that April 1st was not a horrible, horrible thing. Uh, some dedicated modders put together what they're calling Half-Life 2 Update. Uh, if you've got Half-Life 2 on Steam, just download it. Uh, the mod applies immediately. They redid all of the graphics. The, the whiting is completely done. The volumetric fog is completely redone. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Is these the same guys that did Half-Life, the original Half-Life, and redid it? No. Uh, it's Well, it's a, it's a crew, so there, the, the, there is some crossover. Oh, but that was like the 100%. Black Mesa... Edition or whatever, like, remember yep. Black Mesa? No, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's sort of the same thing. Yeah. They did do something interesting, which is, as you go through it, um, because some of the original developers for Half-Life 2 are involved in this as well, you get little, uh, sort of like a DVD commentary? commentary track, where you can walk up and you'll see a little icon to click on. Huh. And they'll describe, you know, what they were thinking of as they developed right. this particular level. So, I mean, there's more than just the pretty remake. There, there's also some director's commentary along with it. But that does look really good. It looks good. friggin' gorgeous. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, it was. I will say it looks better game. than Half Life Two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, I mean, Half Life Two. Come on, that was really that was that's dated. That was that's very dated now. Yeah. No and they also pumped in a whole bunch of bug fixes. So, if <laughs> one of the things that was bugging you was some of the weird things Half Life did occasionally, they probably fixed it's, it. It's worth replaying, and it's about the closest you're going to get to Half-Life 3 for quite a while. Nice. If ever. All right. <laughs> Jer, no, Josh. Josh now. The other Jer, Josh. Jer, Josh. You know, I, I, I like um, Big butts. cars with oh. have good suspension, and uh, they may not be entirely aerodynamically sound, but they've got really good, big, powerful engines, and you can go off road racing and go through dirt. Oh, yeah, Dirt 3, complete edition. Finally, they kicked uh, games for Windows Live to the curb. They added all of the DLC into one thing. So if you've already got Dirt 3 on Steam, you're going to get the complete edition for free. If not, you got to pay some money, which is not a huge amount. But boy... It's on sale right now. Exactly 20% off. Yeah. Dirt 3, you can install it again. Again. <laughs> again. Because, I mean, it's, because you it, can. Like 16, 20 gig? I How think old is this game? Uh, nope. 14 oh, gigs? Gig. Ryan, the issue is size? they turned off the games for Windows Live servers, so you couldn't install the game again. Oh, yeah. I got So you. they had to patch it out, and they just I patched see, it in and I put see. in the DLC and gave it to everybody who owned it. Well, Minimum requirements are Steam. still an Athlon 64 X2 processor. Or Intel Pentium D. 
So what frame rate does that run at on your setup there, Josh? Twelve. You know, it's it's still a good-looking game. Oh, okay. And so yeah, it it's is. what? Uh, between 70 and 80. Oh, I mean, it's right. not over the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It good. never scaled with super high-end GPUs as GPUs increased. Oh, yeah. so it was like CPU limited? Yeah. Not really. Yeah, I don't yeah, know how to explain so it. It was, it was odd. Oh. All right, that's cool. So now you can play your game again. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, uh... Yeah. I had uh, just done a brand new Windows install the other day at home, and uh, for some reason Skype just started randomly crashing every time I shut the system down. That's because it's Skype. Because, Skype, because it's my, they're both owned Skype, by Microsoft. Skype so what is, was being a real pain in the butt. Like really, no under no reason why I could figure out. It just it just did it right. Uh, the other question is who shuts down their computer? Well, you know, if you try to reboot it, even remotely, if I'm VNC'd in from somewhere and I try to have to reboot the computer, it would hang the reboot because it just, you know, (laughs) gave the, you know, unhandled Uh, exception window would pop up in the middle of a shutdown. That's Uh. just ridiculous, right? It would halt the shutdown. So I tried uninstalling it, reboot, reinstall it, same issue. What the heck's going on? I need to, like, uninstall this better, right? Because obviously I need it all gone somehow. Search for every instance of Skype. Uh, yeah, and I don't want to go. I don't want to go through the registry myself. I don't want to go find random DLLs that this thing is somehow using that just left behind, right? That the uninstaller didn't take care of. So I found this thing, uh, it, which has been around for a long time, apparently. Uh, Revo uninstaller. Okay, so there is a paid version, but the free version got me by just fine. Uh, it basically presents itself as just like a regular uninstaller. Uh, like almost looks like the Windows box, kind of. It's just like here's your installed things, right? Okay. It, but it pulls from more locations than just that, and it shows some more things than e- what even shows up in just the Windows uninstall dialog. First of all, and then when you go to uninstall, it will it can follow the regular script that's there for the uninstaller to follow as if it was going to do it. But it also has like an intelligent way of going about scanning for other stuff that it sees might have been linked to it. Okay, to that install. So if you you can crank everything up and not really have to worry so badly because it'll do its extra scanning. It'll take like you know a few seconds, few extra seconds to do it, uh, and then it'll present you with a dialogue saying, "All right, here's here's what I, all the stuff that I can get rid of, right? So the things that that are checked would be like the regular stuff that would have gone if you did a regular uninstall. Do but you need Explore.exe? I didn't think so. No, it doesn't. It, I deleted it. In my case, I, I was <laughs> I, I used I, I used Skype as the example for what. You know, for for seeing how good this program would work, right? And I cranked everything up, every option that it would let me do. And when it presented me with a list, with you can check each individual thing, or you can just say select all and just mm-hmm. you know blindly just go for it. Mm-hmm. But everything in that list was connected to Skype. Sure. Like every additional thing mm-hmm. that it found, right? And it found like it must have been ten or fifteen more things than Windows would have uninstalled. Like then Windows would have removed if I just did the simple uninstall. And sure enough. I did that, used the uninstall with Revo uninstaller, rebooted the system, reinstalled Skype, problem solved. Hmm. Right? So, so one of those things that it found removed, you know, removed and uh, took care of my problem. So uh, really, in my opinion, like, I'm probably just going to use this. I need to, I'm not going to use the Windows uninstaller anymore. Because if I ever have to uninstall something, why would I use that that might not necessarily clean up everything? Why not yeah. use something that's more intelligent about it and actually looks for, you know, just remnant registry entries and stuff just like that. I'm tired of having separate utilities to do everything. Yeah, I mean, you, don't get me wrong, the Windows uninstaller works good enough, yeah. you know, but in my case it wasn't, and that fixed it. What do you mean by the Windows uninstaller? 
the Windows uninstall dialog. There's yeah, yeah, but that just launches a separate EXE. There's no Windows uninstaller. Well, it's uninstall at, EXE is a process. It gives you a list. Yeah. Of the uninstall packages that have been mm-hmm. created by or installers, MSIS. right? But they're uh, all different packages. There's not like yeah, one universal framework packages, they're behind. Yes. But if you just run, but if Windows just runs that script, yeah. it doesn't necessarily get everything. Yeah. right? This thing digs deeper, and in my in my opinion, gets everything. Like gets everything connected with that app. Mm. Or it yeah, could like remove too much. I didn't see it remove like really. I'm just saying, you might not want to use it for every application that you're trying to uninstall. That's true, but remember, it does give you, it does present you with a list. Yeah, but so I don't know if I'd be able to understand all the things that it's attached and what the repercussions are. Uh, it was the list was just put out so I'm simple. It was just like SVChost.exe. <laughs> that <laughs> no, sounds like a no, virus. It, it wasn't even like it's that. Like it was VNS, just like right, it, it was just like here's registry <laughs> entries, and then it specifically had like it bolded like Skype, like in them. Like it was sure. just like here. This is how I figured out what this was connected to. Boom. Yeah. So, I mean, it seemed it, it has a free trial. So do it. And you it's want. a free free trial. And there's a f- the freeware version as well. I didn't even use the free trial of the professional edition. I just used the freeware version. Oh, okay. Which mm-hmm. had enough features to do everything I needed it to do. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to round up and complete our April Fool's edition of the PC Perspective podcast uh, because it's actually almost not April Fool's Day. Haha, ha, it was all a joke. I'm deleting this podcast. It wasn't even recording it. Oh, yep. no. <laughs> I never actually talked. April Fool's. I didn't record it. <laughs> April Fool's, you're fired. Just, April really Fool's, Ken's fired. There's actually no one here. <laughs> oh. Uh, so again, pcper.com slash lives where we record the show on Wednesday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific, or whatever time it happens to be in Taiwan, for example. I don't really know what it is, but it starts at some time in Taiwan. That's why we have a countdown timer on the right-hand side of the page. I think, I think we're at the think we're 12 hours, 12 hours off, off yeah. right? So you get up early, you watch yourself some some PC perspective. I guess 10 a.m. is not early <laughs> for most people. Uh, for Ellen, it's early. Right. Yeah, because McDonald's still hasn't closed its breakfast menu. Right, you can't go into work. All day. You can't go. You can't go to McDonald's until ten thirty-five, so you know that they're mm-hmm. cooking the chicken nuggets correctly. Yeah, and and then you go in. Right, I think we all know how that works. Uh, and PCPro.com/slash/subscribe. And if you're watching this live, don't forget tomorrow morning or tomorrow afternoon rather, three p.m. Eastern, t- uh, noon Pacific, we'll have uh, the Intel SSD group guys on with Alan and I to talk about a new Intel. SSD product that you guys are going to want to learn about, and we're going to give away a couple of those as well as a couple 530s and a couple 730s. So and I think you are going to want to pay attention to that. There might even be a review posted before that happens. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. If Alan gets it done. If I get it done. <laughs> That's right. That's right. If Alan gets it done. Since there's still testing going on over there on the other side of the room. Right now. Yeah. Is that what it is? Is that what it is? Uh, so thanks, everybody, for joining us. We will see you next time. I'm Ryan Shrout. I'm Jeremy Hellstrom. I'm Josh Walbreth, but the puppy went away. And I'm Alan Valentano. Not a puppy. Root for the Wildcats.